make sure that I've actually unmuted myself. There we go. Hope you, hopefully you're having a fantastic day and uh, that you're celebrating the sunny weather. I am told that we're going to be having 40s and even up to 52 by like Tuesday or Wednesday. And then in Michigan fashion, I'll go back down to the 20s for like four days. So... I don't know. It's our state. This is what we live in. But people are like, why do you stay in Michigan? It's the fall. That's the best time of year, not the summer. Who likes heat? Nobody likes heat. There we go. If you ever want to stir up dissension in the church, talk about heat or talk about what's the best and worst coffee place in the city and that will actually fracture the congregation. If you're brand new, my name is Dave uh, Berenger. I'm the lead pastor. My wife and I are celebrating uh, just being with you and worshiping and just diving into the Word. So if you have your Bibles, go to Revelation chapter 3. We are in week 6 of a series. We will wrap it up next week uh, with the Church of Laodicea. And then the week after, we have a... Uh, we just call him a member of our congregation that actually doesn't go here or work here, but J.P. Dorsey has been coming to this church for well over a decade, and uh, J.P. is going to come. He's going to preach the word in a couple weeks, and uh, if you have never been here for J.P. Dorsey, you are in for a treat. Uh, no joke, it was a few years ago that um, I had somebody message me. She just gave birth, and she's like, I heard J.P. is going to be here on Sunday. I'm like, yeah. She goes, well, I'm going to get discharged early so I can be in church for J.P., and for which I'm like, you. You wouldn't do that for me, would you? <laughs> Not at all. So I'm, I'm pumped about uh, what God is doing at K-First. Ann and I keep saying over and over that God has is, is brought a shift in this church over the past few months. It's something about from Christmas candlelight on, there has been a shift within our congregation. There is a different attitude, a heart of worship. There is a hunger for the presence of God. Uh, last week, I told you that we were having table training for people who want to lead a table. And Pastor Kevin told me we had around 18 or 19 potential tables that we'll be rolling out over the next few months. And then he met with me the other day and he says, I was wrong. We actually have up to 28 different tables that are in the works right now. And I say, celebrate that. That is something wonderful. So we got people that are interested in starting them. Now it's getting them trained and over the next few months beginning to roll some of those out. So I'm celebrating tonight um, our, our young adult table uh, that will be meeting at my house for which my wife and I will not be there because we are double their age and uh, we don't belong in that group whatsoever. Uh, we've got the, the men's group gets together next Saturday. We do a men's breakfast um, over at Michelle's. I think it's at nine o'clock. And then we've also got young couples will be next week. We have things are rolling out and I am absolutely stoked. Um, there is a phenomenal story that came out of a book. I, I don't know if there's any people that you like to read. Um, I like to read what pastors write. Um, I love to hear their stories and Craig Rochelle is one of my favorite pastors to read. He's got a great leadership podcast. He has a great church called Life Church and uh, in one of his books he, he writes this story he says, my friend Kevin served on our church staff as one of our pastors for close to 20 years before retiring. And way back in the early days, our staff used to play a game called Capture the Flag in our storefront church offices. We occasionally got violent as players tried to seize the flag, but because we were ministers, it was, of course, holy violence. Eventually, two people ended up getting injured, so we had to establish guidelines. And one of those rules was no attacks before 8 a.m., I tend to get to work early, and one day I showed up around 7 and began walking to my office, and my spidey sense went off. Something wasn't right. I suspected a threat. I threw open a closet door to find Pastor Kevin hiding. 
I didn't know if he had spent the entire night in there, but his plan was to wait patiently to surprise, attack, uh, surprise and to attack me. But thanks to my superhero ability to detect danger, I thwarted his plan. I was so excited that I slammed the door shut, wedged my foot against the bottom, and yelled triumphantly that you're going to spend the day in that closet, Kevin. I grabbed the chair to secure my prisoner, chuckling maniacally. I said, I'm putting a chair under the doorknob, but no matter how much I tried, I could not get the chair to fit. And because I couldn't move my foot from the door, there was nothing I could do to lock Kevin in the closet. Fortunately for me, I realized that he didn't know that. He believed me. And so with all of the fake confidence I could muster, I sold it. And there's now a chair under the doorknob, Kevin. You can't get out of this. Yes, I lied, but I'm a pastor, so it was wholly lying. Well, what did Kevin do? More like what he did not do. He never tried to open the door. He just believed my lie. Kevin started shouting, let me out, let me out, please let me out. I don't want to spend the day in here, let me out. I couldn't stop laughing because the door was unlocked. All he had to do was turn the handle and push and he would be free, but he just stayed in the closet. I had premarital counseling at 8 a.m., so I went to my office to meet with the soon-to-be-married couple. At about 8.20, I heard something in the ceiling above me. <laughs> and then I heard the noise again. It was Kevin. He scaled the shelves in the closet, got up to the ceiling tiles to find a way out. And as he began to make his way, he lifted up a tile to look down and a lock face to face with me and the couple I was counseling. He replaced the tile, climbed back, and went back into the closet to stay there for the day. <laughs> I apparently am a very lame pastor and I've never done anything of this sort whatsoever. But can you, I'm trying to wrap my head around, I did premarital counseling yesterday for a couple hours, and I cannot imagine being talking, and all of a sudden that ceiling tile moves and there's Pastor Marty looking down at me. <laughs> but wrap your head around being stuck inside a closet for a day, thinking that there is a door closed and specifically locked to you, not realizing that at any point you can walk out because the door has been open the entire time. I don't know if you've ever talked about having open doors, but in church, it's, it's kind of lingo that we've used for years that we believe that God opens doors. And we believe that there are certain doors that God shuts, but, but, and I could talk about that all day long. But I think sometimes that we need to start recognizing that God does open, that God does close some doors. And if you, people say, well, God, if he closes the door, he opens up a window, which makes no sense to me whatsoever because when God closes a door, he doesn't open up a window for you to worm your way through. He will open up a door because he's got something planned for your life. And so I want to talk about open doors today because I think sometimes we think that we can't move forward or we can't do something because we see something closed in front of us. And I think the enemy has tricked the church of the living God to be closed mouth and closed lives because of a door that the enemy has closed to us or he has told us about something that we can't do or something that we can't accomplish as a church or as an individual that follows Jesus. But Jesus is here to speak a word into us that he opens a door. And for some of us, it's, some of us have believed the lie that the enemy has said, you can't go further, you're caught in the closet. But I believe that God wants us to get into a mode where we begin to realize that just because the enemy closes the door doesn't mean that God has not given us a key to open up the door and to see the realms of what he wants to do in and through our lives. That's where we get to Revelation chapter three, starting at verse seven. We get the letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. So let me pause right here just to clarify this has nothing to do with Pennsylvania. <laughs> nothing to do with Philly cheesesteak. Anybody like a good Philly cheesesteak? 
Oh, I can get revival talking about cheesesteaks today. Now, there are two types of people. There are people that like the cheese whiz style and the provolone style. Jesus likes the provolone style. He does not like the cheese whiz style. Just as a heads up. Nothing like a good Philly cheesesteak. Anyways, verse 1. This is the message from the, Holy one, from the one who is holy and true. The one who is the key of David. The one who opens, no man can, what, what he opens, no man can close. What he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you have obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come down and bow at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones that I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon this whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears must hear. To hear must listen to the spirit that has understood what he is saying to the churches. I love the fact that Jesus, who is speaking to the church of Philadelphia, he's saying, listen, I am ready to open up a door. And when I open up a door, it's a door that no one can close. Would you pray with me today? Lord Jesus, open up our eyes to see what you have in front of us. Open up, open up our ears to hear what the spirit is saying. Open up our hearts to receive what you would want to instill within our spirits that would be people of the kingdom of God, ready to see what you are building so that we could become a partner with it. Lord, I ask that you would just guide us and lead us. I pray that you would just help us to walk away from this place differently, differently than the way that we walked in. And Lord, pray that you would just melt all of this white stuff around us and warm this state in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, do it quickly. Uh, Philadelphia, the ancient city of Philadelphia, is about 27 miles from the city of Sardis, which we've already preached about. It's approximately 48 miles from Laodicea, which we'll preach about next week, um, that was surrounded on two sides. By one side was volcanic cliffs called the Inkwells, and on the other side was very fertile land, uh, most likely because of the volcanic ash that would actually help make the land quite fertile. And from that land, grapes would begin to grow, and the city itself was known. In fact, poets used to write about the wine that was produced from Philadelphia. Philadelphia founded in the year 189 BC by, uh, by a king that gave its name Philadelphia in honor for the brother that he loved. Thus the name Philadelphia, which means the city of brotherly love. In fact, there are other times in, in Scripture you'll see the, the name Decapolis, which means 10 cities. If you know the name Decapolis, it's really Philadelphia. And there's a connection to Philadelphia there. But we've got this amazing kind of link into this, this beautiful, beautiful city that Jesus wrote nothing in condemnation nor even correction. This is out of the seven letters of Revelation. Jesus wrote two letters that were primarily encouragement and not any type of correction. These are the type of letters I would want to get from Jesus. Absolutely zero correction. Dave, you're doing all good. Let me tell you how to keep doing good. And this is really what Philadelphia gets. He's at Philadelphia, you're doing fantastic. You're doing great. Let me tell you how to go to the next level. I love this. And if you've been following along for the entire series, 
because I know nobody would ever miss a Sunday whatsoever. You guys are here every single week, but just in case, if you're here from week one, you'll see that the church in Ephesus, their challenge was to get back to love. Week two was Smyrna, which was to stand strong in times of testing. In week three, the church of Pergamon was told to live above reproach. Week four, the church of Thyatira was told to keep making improvements. Week five, the church in Sardis was challenged to let the reputation match their label. And this week, the challenge that Jesus gives the church is to seize divine opportunities. Jesus said, I am opening up a door. Nobody can close, and if I can close it. And if I open it up, it's time for you to seize and to take part of the divine opportunity that I am giving you. Now, what it was really quite cool is in verse number eight, Jesus kind of says something that kind of caught my eye. And he says this, I know the things that you do, and I've opened a door that no one can close. And he said this specifically, you have little strength. And now, commentators are arguing about what this specifically means. Was it physical strength? Was it they had maybe a smaller congregation? Did they have small resources? Did they have small influences? Did they have just a few uh, ministries and not a lot of ministries? We don't know what the smallness was. All we know is, is Jesus says, listen, I know you have little strength, but here's what I'm going to do for you. Even though you feel like you've got little to offer, I'm going to open up something big for you to step through. In fact, I love the message paraphrase. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this. He says this, I see what you've done, now see what I've done. I see what you've done, now see. Now get ready. I'm about to do something brand new. And so I just began to journal this past week, just thinking about this message and thinking about the word open doors. And I just began to write down some thoughts about open doors. So if you're a note taker, I hope you're a note taker. I'm a note taker. Would you just begin to write some things down? Number one, here's what I've discovered about open doors is first and foremost that Jesus opens the door for everyone because he is the open door. Jesus is the open door. John chapter 10 verse 9 says this, I am the door, Jesus is speaking. And if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The context of this amazing verse is the context of a shepherd. Uh, When we went to Israel, one of the first places we visited was a place called the shepherd's field where it is, this is the assumed place where the the shepherds would have seen the angels and had the announcement of the birth of the Christ child. And one thing that we learned about the shepherd's field was actually this scripture in John chapter 10, verse 9. Because Jesus says that I am the door. And, And the question is, well, what does that truly mean? See, in that day, what shepherds would do is they would take thistles and thorns and they would they'd make a fence and they would do the circle for which their, their flocks would be kept in the safety of the thistles and they would leave a little doorway for them to go in and out and at night, the shepherd would lay in the doorway. That way, no thief, no predator could ever get to the flock itself because the shepherd was laying there to defend and to lay down his life for the sake of the flock. So if you needed to go in and out, there was only one way and it was through the shepherd. And what I love about Jesus is Jesus, he's not laying in the way to keep you from getting in. He's laying in the way because he is the door. He is the way. And that's something that we will always preach at K-First is there is only one way to heaven. There's only one way to the Father. There's only one way to hope in eternity. There's only one way to ultimate healing. One way to salvation. And his name is 
Jesus. We will always preach Jesus, and Jesus is the open door. And what I love about the open door is the open door is not reserved for just a couple people. The open door is not reserved for tithers. The open door is not reserved for just big givers. The open door is not reserved for people who have cleaned up their lives. Man, if I could just, it grieves me the amount of conversations I've had for years with individuals who have wanted to meet me in coffee shops or at a restaurant or me to come over to a home or to sit in my office and they want to get permission from me to attend the church. And my question is, why do you need my, position, my, my, my permission? Well, pastor, you don't know my past. Well, I, I, you're probably not going to agree with my lifestyle. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been into. You don't know what, what the things that I've grown up in, the things that I've been privy to. You don't know, about, you don't know about my hurt. Are you okay? I'm broken. I'm bruised. I got chewed up by a church. I've done this. I've had this. I've had people say, is it okay if I can come to the church? And I'm here to say that K-First will never shut its doors to an individual that truly, truly, truly needs to encounter God. And we have people that will come through that don't even know that they need to encounter God because why? Their spouse dragged them here that morning and I'm okay with that as well. I'm here to say that Jesus is the open door for anybody, anybody, anybody. I don't care your nationality. I don't care the color of your skin. I don't care your, your, your background of your economics, your family history, or the lack thereof. Jesus is the open door for anybody who will call upon his name. He is the open door. And our church will open its doors to anybody and everybody that would come on in. Pastor, I want to give you a heads up. My cousin's coming in and he's crazy. Is it okay if he shows up? I'm like... Jesus specializes in crazy. Look at the pastor that leads the church. Jesus is the open door. And when I think about open doors, he is the open door. Why do we open the door up to anybody and everybody? Why? Because the goal is not to grow a bigger church. Believe me, my goal here is not to create a mega church. My goal is to populate the kingdom of God. My goal is to pillage the enemy's camp. My goal is to pillage any ground that the enemy has tried to take. My goal is to go and to call upon people and to challenge them to put faith in Jesus that all, that all would have an opportunity to find salvation. It's all about the open door. It's all about the kingdom, which leads me to number two. An open door to you may not be an open door to others. We go from Jesus being the door and being that open door to individuals to this place of having a calling. We need to talk about the calling of God more at K-First. Now, I will say back in the 80s when I was a, uh, in the 70s, I don't remember much from the 70s, and not because I was doing anything. I was five years old for peace sake. So you're like, I know why you don't remember anything from the 70s. I will say, that I met a guy last week, and he's like, we're talking about high school. I found out that he went to high school close to me, and he's like, man, maybe we played each other at football. He goes, I graduated 2008. When did you graduate? I'm like, 1993. He goes, oh, you're that age. I'm like, I don't know what that meant, but, but in my age and my time, when we talked about the calling of God, unfortunately, you know what we did in church? When we talked about the calling of God, we only talked about the calling of God mattering in terms of full-time pastoral ministry, missionary, evangelists. We're talking about vocational ministry. And you know what we did is we sold the call of God short in the lives of individuals that would hear the message and not have a calling to be a pastor. Some of y'all shouldn't be pastors. Some of y'all should not be vocational missionaries overseas. Some of y'all should not be evangelists. Why? Because God maybe has not given you that calling. He's given you a different calling. And God has opened up a door to you and the door is open for you to walk through and not anybody else. Often, I've said this before, often I get phone calls that says, Pastor Dave, my friend is open to the gospel. Would you come talk to him? I'm like, no. 
Why? Because you've got the relationship and God has opened up the door for you. Would you talk? Well, I don't know everything to say. That's okay. That's why we've got the Spirit of God to help us in those moments. And some of us, we look for open doors, but we love to see other people walk through them. But I want to see a church raise up where we look and we ask God to open up doors. And we know that God will anoint us to go through those doors because God will never give you an open door for which he will not give you the power, strength, and ability to do what he's called you to do. He will never do that to you. God has given you an anointing. Now the word anointing is a very churchy word that it comes from the scripture, but we utilize it in church and sometimes we don't know what that means. And, and if you want the most basic definition of anointing, it'll be this. It is a special touch of the Holy Spirit. And God gives us a general anointing. God generally anoints us as believers to go and to be Christ into this world around us. He gives us a general anointing where the same spirit that raised Jesus from the grave is on us. If you're a believer, the spirit of God is on you. And he's anointed you to, to speak the good news, to set people at liberty, to give people the idea that they can walk in freedom and deliverance, to begin to pray for people. Did you know this? You don't have to have the pastor pray for you to be healed. You can pray or somebody else that is sitting around you that can pray pray and call upon the name of the Lord and we believe that God still heals. There's anointing that God places upon your life and God has given you opportunities and I want to challenge you. Would you begin to pray that God would help you to see open doors and when God gives you an open door, it's not for you to necessarily tell other people to walk with you through it. Sometimes God has challenged you to walk through it so that you can walk in the calling that he has given upon your life. Some of you your, your calling is in the cubicle, in the workplace, or the factory that you work in, or in the school that you're working, or the bus that you're driving, or the office that you're leading, or wherever God has called you in your home or in, in the marketplace, wherever God has taken you, he has given you an anointing upon your life to be effective and to be a person on mission to go lead people in the relationship with Jesus Christ. So look at your life, your connections, your relationships. Look at your testimony and realize that God is ready to use you, which leads me to number three. When it comes to doors, Jesus has given you keys. Jesus has given you keys to open doors. Now when it comes to keys, keys mean authority, opportunity. You know, for example, none of you have the authority or the opportunity to drive my car. Do you know why? You don't have the key. And I'll be honest, I, I, we got a car last year and it's the kind where you push a button and the, and, the, and the thing flips up and when I walk, I don't know why, when I, when I go to open my key, I, I snap my hand out like I got a switchblade. It's a weird, weird thing. I promise you, if you see me walk up to my car today, you see me do this and flip the thing out, it's really lame and apparently not as funny to you as it is to me. <laughs> but even on my keychain, I've got things like, I've got my keys to, to my home, I've got keys to a building over in Pawpaw for a church that was given to us to, to do some kingdom work. I've got the broken key to my dorm room that has been on my keychain really for the past uh, 20, oh my, it's been that long, 25 years. Um, it, I have keys that represent authority, but did you know that you've got keys to help open doors to the kingdom in people's lives? Let me give you a couple keys. Here's one key, serving. When you step into a serving role, that's a key to open the kingdom up in people's lives. For example, if you've got musical ability, and now, now, now I'm not saying musical ability because your, your mom said that you sing good in the shower. You're like hearing you from the outside, okay? 
I'm not saying that, I'm saying that you've got a musical ability and you feel like that maybe you want to, you're a drummer or you're a guitarist, you are a vocalist, uh, you play accordion, I don't know what you play. We have done accordion here, by the way, if you've been here for Christmas Candlelight. But if you've been given the ability to, to work and to minister musically, then you need to talk to Emily, our worship director. Or maybe, you're, maybe you want to just greet people. I will hammer this until we've got every door covered every single Sunday of the month. If you can smile and greet someone, Somebody, then you know what? You've got a key to the kingdom that you can help usher something into somebody's life. I think that every person at KFIRST should serve at a door and greet at least once every two months. I believe you should serve in first impressions. Why, why is that a big deal? Because you do not know what has happened in somebody's life before they've walked through those doors. You don't know about their week or their weekend, what has transpired. And your smile, your greeting. I have met people who have, have testimonies of God encountering their lives through greeters in the back door. Your serving can be a key to unlock the kingdom. I am here because somebody served in kids ministry whose name is Judy Feeney, and she was the one that led me initially to my faith in Jesus Christ. She is in heaven right now, and I cannot wait to see her one day, but I am here because of people like Judy Feeney. I'm here because of somebody, her, I call her Miss Alita. She led me in, in kids songs, and I remembered the names of the books of the Bible and the fruits of the Spirit because she taught me kids songs. And you know, Pastor Dave, why do you remember those? Because the key of serving unlocked the kingdom in the heart of a young child. And when you serve, whether you want to serve tech, you want to serve in the back, you want to serve in worship, you want to serve um, by leading a table, I'm challenging every single person, find a place to serve because your serving can unlock the keys, excuse me, the doors to the kingdom in somebody else's life. Another way is giving. I don't preach on giving a whole lot, but I'm here to say, when you give, you help unlock doors. Quite literally, you help unlock doors. The doors that we have to pay for and the doors that we have to fix and the buildings we upkeep, but more specifically, for the lives, they begin to be touched by, by things like the, uh, like the food pantry. This past week, I did a live video. Um, the food pantry had prepackaged all these groceries that were going out. Um, and I was just so proud of Myrna and her group. It just thrilled at the amount of people that are able to be fed physically and spiritually because of your giving. I love that. When we see ministry go out, when I'm talking with Pastor Carissa and Pastor Kevin about what's happening in kids' ministry, and this week we started dream, dreaming about the future of what we're going to do with the next generation, that those, those doors open up because you give. Ann and I have been tithers. We will always be tithers. We give above our tithe because we want to see more go to missions. We love that and we engage in it. And let me encourage you, if you've never ever tithed before, I'm going to challenge you to jump on board. And it's easy to say jump on board with 10%, but for some of you, you haven't planned that you've, and that's a huge step of faith. And so my challenge is this, is would you consider jumping on board with 1%? Two. Jump on board and just begin to give something. Why? Because when you give, what it does is us as the church, it gives us opportunity to help bless the community around us and the world around us. Another key that we have is hospitality. Or uh, what I might even say, sharing. 
is when you're showing caring actions. Is when you're on the lookout beyond this church and you're looking for somebody in need. You're listening to people that are maybe hurting. And instead of praying for them from afar, which you should do, but you begin to interact with them in the marketplace. I, I, and when you're maybe walking in downtown and you're seeing somebody in need and you bless them. When you're hearing somebody at work talk about some struggles and you realize your family can meet them in their struggles. Do you understand that your vulnerability, your sharing, your testimony, your story, your interaction, and your investment in their life becomes a key to the kingdom. Know this, Jesus has given us keys, but it's up to us to stop keeping them in our pocket, but begin to utilize them to see the open door of the gospel and the kingdom to begin to spread into people's hearts and lives. Understand that when you have keys, some of you don't realize you've got a key called your story. Every one of you have a story. Some of you have got some of things that have happened in your life that you've never thought you could share. I'm here to say that even though you have struggles in your past, the struggles of your past can become a gateway to somebody's freedom if you would just simply share your story. Well, Pastor, when are you going to invite me on the stage? You may never get invited on stage, but some of us think the stage is the only place of impact. Your impact comes after service when you're talking with people, inviting people to lunch, sitting down for coffee, Talking through people uh, at your workplace and in the marketplace. And all of a sudden, as you begin to listen to people talk, you begin to think about your story. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God encourages you. Share your story with them. And I've watched the presence of God, the power of God, the miracles of God take place. Not on Sundays up here, but they take place in Walmart. They play, take place in homes. They take place on walks. Why? Because you begin to share. Well, pastor, I don't think I've got much to offer. You're talking about the things that we can do or things that we can do. I don't have much to offer. I'm here to tell you this. The church in Philadelphia didn't think they had much to offer. And yet Jesus looks at them. And we don't know, again, don't know if it was their influence, their size, or their resource. But I'm here to challenge you to not underestimate the potential of the smallest act of obedience. Don't ever underestimate the potential. We can go back to the story of a boy that showed up to listen to the voice of Jesus, to listen to what he had to say. And he had a small lunch of a few pieces of bread and a few fish. And on that day, Jesus took a smallest act of obedience where he just gave up his lunch and that lunch fed thousands of people. Don't ever discount what the power of a simple act of obedience can do. Walk in it, operate in it and see God open doors. Number four. God is constantly opening doors, but it's up to us to notice them and to walk through them. I, I wrote this in my notes. I think some of us need to stop praying for God to open doors. That sounds contrary to what I'm preaching because I think some of us need to stop praying, God, open up doors, and maybe God, help me to actually see the doors you've already opened up. Because I think often we're praying for God to open up bigger doors or more populated doors or, or more doors that people will see and want to post about on social media. The ones that everyone's going to know us, the ones that everyone's going to do. If God, God, if you can open up those doors so everybody sees it. And maybe God is, maybe God will do that someday, but maybe God wants us to be faithful in secret before he puts us faithful in public. God, start opening up doors. You know what, God? Let me start being faithful with the doors you've already opened up. This is one of my favorite, favorite stories when I went to my youth pastor with the call of God on my life and said, I said, Kurt, just put me to work. Whatever you want me to do. He says, good. I need you to clean up the youth room after we have youth service. I'm like, how long you want me to do that? Just work on that until, 
until I tell you to stop. I went from that to teaching sixth graders, which I thought was, was a life sentence for something that I had done wrong at one point. I'm like, this is not, dealing with Sam Wall, I'm like, man, when I'm a youth pastor someday, I'm not gonna have to deal with a Sam Wall ever again. And then a couple of years later, I became the youth pastor and Sam was in my youth group. But listen, some of us, Stop praying for more open doors. Pray that we would be obedient to the doors that God gives us now, here in front of us. And lastly, number five, and I need to wrap up. The church needs to be a church of open doors until all have heard the gospel. The church needs to be a church of open doors till all has heard the gospel. This is where the heart of this message was moving towards. When I planned this a few months back, I knew this is the Sunday that I really wanted to talk about global missions. This church unapologetically believes in missions. And when I say missions, the word missions to me always signifies both local and world. Because we should never ever talk about missions without ever considering Kalamazoo first before we would consider anybody else. Jesus said, you're going to reach Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem was their center point. Kalamazoo was our center point. And we will never do global missions at the expense of not reaching our city. And vice versa, we will never just reach our city at the expense of never going beyond. Why? Because I believe that every human being has the right to hear the gospel. Every human being has a right to hear the gospel. At K-First, we believe that missions is not a denominational obligation, but it's a kingdom priority. We don't do missions because we're in the Sims of God church. There are some that don't realize that we are part of what we call a fellowship. We don't call ourselves a denomination because we don't run it like that. We are part of a fellowship of churches. And what that simply means is all of us, as Sims of God churches, we have the same doctrine, but we get to express it in ways that we just feel like we need to. Like right now, I've got a friend of mine that is in a suit and tie right now, and I feel like he is bound and, and he needs to be freed in the name of Jesus. And then at the same time, he thinks of me and he's like, Dave's got jeans and tattoos. G David needs to get saved. So we all love each other. We work together. We love each other. And we are part of an amazing movement called the Assemblies of God. And in the assemblies, the heart of the assemblies is that the entire world would hear. And that's why if you actually do studies of denominations and fellowships, there is one denomination that is absolutely killing it on the mission field, and that's a good thing. And it's the Assemblies of God. There is no other fellowship like it. The other denominations will go to the assemblies to talk with them about their strategy. And when it comes to the assemblies, let me just give you a little bit of a view, a little bit of a map here. This is the Assemblies of God, World Missions. We call it AGWM. They, they do home missions, which is the United States, but we also do global world missions. And, and what we do is we reach it by field. And so we've got regions like Latin America, Caribbean, um, Europe, Africa, Asia Pacific, Northern Asia, Eurasia, international ministries. We've got areas that have regional directors and those regional directors have missionaries. And what we have across this entire world, this entire globe, is the Sims of God has sent out presently approximately 2,700 missionaries globally worldwide. And our heart is that every single person would hear and know that they have an opportunity to come to Jesus. This is what we are and this is what we support. In fact, there are three levels to missionaries. And the reason why I'm covering this is because if you're going to be a part of this church, you should know what we're a part of. We're part of the AGWN, the Assemblies of God World Missions. And so there are three different levels. There are 
Um, MAPS missionaries. MAP missionaries are those that want to go work with a missionary for maybe a month, two months, three months, maybe six months. I've had students that have graduated that wanted to go work with a missionary for a few months, and they're called MAPS missionaries. Then we have missionary associates. Uh, and these are missionaries that will go and work alongside career missionaries for a, a shortened period, a year, two years, maybe three years. Kyle, our missions director, translated, trans, uh, translated from Kyle, the missions director, to Kyle, the missionary. And so he is in the midst of his fundraising. And when he's done fundraising, we're going to do a send-off here on a Sunday morning. And Kyle is going to be a missionary over into the continent of Asia. And so we've got numbers of missionary associates that have been sent off and they're working with... The third level, which is career missionaries. Missionaries, these are their lives. This is what they do, and this is where they stay, and they will stay. Uh, they basically live there for about four years to five years, come home for a year um, to itinerate and fundraise, and, and, but go back to what has become their home. I just met with a missionary this week. It's my first time sitting with him. And him and his wife, uh, they have a five-month-old, and they are fully appointed missionaries ready to hit the mission field. I'm like, well, where are you? When are you going? He said, August. Where are you going? He says, that's the problem, Ukraine. I'm like, oh, is something going to change? He goes, something might have to change. He says, but we're praying. He says, right now our hearts are brokenhearted because God has put a, a burden upon our heart to go into a specific part of the world where we get to go as missionaries. We, they know us as missionaries. We don't get to hide who we are. We get to be who we are. But God, would you, he says, Pastor Dave, would you just pray not just that we would finish fundraising, but would you pray that God would do the miraculous in that country and that God would preserve that country and pray for the Ukrainian people. And I just sat for two hours with this young man, just listening to his heart bleed for the field. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what we are for. Why? Because the opportunities that you get this morning should be global. To every tongue, to every nation. And so that's why KFIRST, we have a global strategy. And this is our global strategy. That, that we are going to look at the continent of Asia. And we are going to put most of our primary money there. And the reason being is Asia is by far the largest continent spanning 17.2 million square miles. It is the largest geographically, but also puts it at an advantage because it has 4.6 billion of the world's 7.7 billion population. It has the highest and lowest points on earth, which is Mount Everest and the Dead Sea. With the majority of the unreached people in the world, we have, get this, out of all of our missionaries worldwide, only 16% of our missionaries go to this region that actually has less people ever connected to the name of Jesus. Let me translate this. The most concentrated people in the world that have never heard the name of Jesus are, in, are on the Asian continent. And so what we are doing at KFIRST is we are putting together a mission strategy that is going to help prioritize the lost. And so number one, our strategy is going to be we're going to prioritize missionaries to the region of China. This doesn't mean that we don't send out missionaries to, to, some, some, to other places. We're going to be bringing on a missionary to Estonia. We're going to be bringing on another missionary. I, I totally forgot the name of the island I had never heard of. But apparently there's islands between Madagascar and the, and the main continent of Africa. But we've got a missionary we're supporting, we're sending there. But what we are doing is we have looked and recognized that a majority of our population in the world that has heard the name of Jesus and needs to hear the name of Jesus. Don't you agree? Everybody ought to have the opportunity. And so we are going to have an unapologetic bias 
toward the unreached that is going to help reach people in Eurasia, Northern Asia, and Asia Pacific. We are going to have a heart that does that. And what I've begun to learn the more that I've talked to other pastors, as other pastors are catching that same thing. One of my good friends, uh, he actually just messaged me this morning. Out of his out of his church, his church started putting focus in there. And guess what happened? As his church started praying for Asia, as his church began to give and send out missionaries, you know what ended up happening? God sent out five families out of his church to go to separate, separate situations and help plant and pioneer the gospel of Jesus Christ in areas that have never heard Jesus' name. The places that have never had a Bible or seen a Bible out of his church. So he wrote me this morning because last week he's like, I heard you preach on deconstruction. I'm preaching on it this Sunday. Can I have your notes? I said, absolutely. I said, I'm so excited. I was preaching out of the churches of Revelation and he interrupts me. That's what I'm preaching on. I'm like, bro, you following me? And so he goes, no, 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 not at all. And so he's literally in the same style of series, about two weeks behind us, preaching on deconstruction. And so this morning got the message. We are deconstructing deconstruction this morning, Pastor Dave. And so I'm stoked about him. But what else I'm stoked about is I love that people are looking at the world and they're saying, as long as we have breath in our lungs, as long as we have resources to give, we are going to send missionaries to the unreached places of the world. The other part of our strategy is this. We're not just going to prioritize missionaries to, to the region of Asia. We are going to partner with teams. A sense of God world missions has been shifting from sending just individuals and families to teams of individuals and families. This is a big shift. In the end. This may not seem like a big deal to you, but imagine going with your family to a region where the next English-speaking person is miles from you outside of your translator. And you're alone by yourself as a family, working alone as a family. And AGWM has shifted its focus instead of sending, honestly, instead of sending Kyle off to uh, a country, and I can't say the country from the platform here, but instead of sending Kyle, one of our own, off by himself as a single guy, we're going to send Kyle and his teams to go with them. Why? Because the enemy works in isolation and God works in community. And we as a church, what we're going to do is we're going to put our missions dollars toward teams that are going to go into regions to pioneer the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to be unapologetic about it. That means that there are some times that we're going to say no uh, to specific missionaries because God has given us a focus and a conviction. Why? Because these people need to hear the name of Jesus. And there was a, at one point where we had six or seven missionaries in the Philippines. At one point I think we had eight missionaries in Germany. And those are great. God bless both of those countries. They're amazing. We have missionaries that came from the Philippines that are here in this building right now. That's awesome. But I, when I look at Asia, when I look at the opportunity, I say, Lord Jesus, you have put a burden on our heart and K-First will be faithful. And it is my goal over the course of the next of the, of the near future, we're going to start bringing those missionaries in front of you. You're going to start hearing stories. You're going to start hearing what God is doing. And it is my prayer that it would not just raise the level of giving to send more missions out, but I pray that God would begin to stir in the hearts of teenagers, young adults, older adults, retired adults, the call of God to go where no one has brought the gospel before. God, we proclaimed this years ago to be a Sunday church. God sent missionaries out of this church. Send pastors out of this church. Send engineers out of this church. Send homemakers out of this church. God, send us out into places, God, that you would utilize us to give the gospel because, God, there's an open door that some people don't realize that is lingering out there. Some people have never known that Jesus gives them an open door because all they've heard is that God is mad at them and doesn't want them any longer. 
It was, it was a few years ago, and I need a keyboardist just to help me, help me wrap up here. It was a few years ago when I was in my first Israel trip that we were on our way to a place called Masada. And our guide pointed out the window to our left side. He says, look over there, that's the Dead Sea. And so I, I took this picture. And you can see the Dead Sea faintly over top. I wish it was a better picture, but it's through a window. And the reason why I've got an arrow pointing there, pointing to where um, the land is at, because this is what our guide, his name is Wisam. This is what our guide said. He says, I want you to look at this faint line that kind of lingers way, way, way outside of the Dead Sea. And he says, if you want to know what that line is, is that's where the Dead Sea started. And he said, in about 80 years, the Dead Sea will be gone. Just gone. And, you know, we know that the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea because the Dead Sea just gets poured into and it has no outlet. And so it just gets consecrated full of salt. And, and I hope that you go to Israel with us someday when we do our next trip because it'll be amazing. We go and we float into the Dead Sea and somebody always gets seawater in their eye and it, it hurts like the worst thing in the world. But it's just an amazing experience. But I have never forgotten this picture because when I look at what has dissipated, it's because everything has been poured in and, it continue, and nothing ever flows out. So it gets concentrated. It begins to evaporate. People are taken from it and it's going to disappear in about 80 years. And unfortunately, this, I think, has been the sad story of so many churches. Is that we want God just to pour something into us. But if we don't let something pour out from us, this is going to be the story of K-First. We can't be a dead sea where we, Pastor Dave, just pour into us. Worship team, pour into us. Everyone just pour into us. Make us feel good. Lord, Lord just, just feed us on a Sunday morning. But we need to be the type of church that does more than just has something poured into us. We need to be the type of church that looks for open doors that God would give us to make sure that we are pouring out into the world around us. We need to be a giving church. We need to be a serving church. We need to be a church that everywhere that we walk, we recognize that we are the body of Christ, that we are the church, that we are, that we are looking for the opportunities for Jesus to open doors, to speak and to utilize us. I wrote this down. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap this thing up here. An open door is God's gift to you and what you do with that door is your gift to him. And my prayer is, I mean, this, this morning is not one of those mornings where we just run up to the altar and we just, we worship and we praise and, and then we, we leave feeling really good. This, this morning, the response is really this, is what are we going to do with the opportunities that God gives us? Because God gives us opportunities to share. God gives us opportunities to be the light. I'm not saying that if you're standing in line and somebody in line just says, hey, how is your day, that you've got to break down the, the book of Romans to them in that moment. Please don't do that to them. Let's talk about Leviticus right now. No, let's not talk about that. But there are times that God gives us open doors, and those are gifts. But you have an opportunity to give God a gift, and it's being faithful with that opportunity that God has given you. You don't have to walk someone through the road of salvation in that moment. Will you have those opportunities? It's possible. But to me, I just want to be a people that are faithful, that when God opens the door, that I'm ready to say yes. There's a song that we used to sing eons ago. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. And I'll say yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. And my prayer today is that your response to this sermon would be a yes to God. What is God calling you to do? Say yes. 
is God maybe kind of opening up the door in your heart saying, you know what, it's time to start serving in your church. You've been attending, it's time to start serving. Maybe to literally open up a door on Sunday mornings and say yes. Maybe you've never been a giver, it's time to say yes. Maybe you've never joined a group, it's time to say yes. Maybe God's been laying upon your heart to start building relationships with your neighbors that you've never met before, it's time to say yes. Maybe you've been walking by an individual in your workplace that God has been tapping on your heart. It's time to connect with them. It's time to start encouraging them. It's time to start establishing some sort of friendship with them. And you've just been saying, maybe another day, maybe another day, maybe another day. Today is the day to say yes. Why? So that all would know. At K-First, we are going to be missional in our lives and in our church. And that's why we titled this message, Open Door Church, Open Door Lives. That people would enter in and taste and see that God is good. Would you bow your heads? I'm ready to shut up here.